There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Stocks for beginners. So I would love for you to go to your boss or the person responsible for giving you a raise tomorrow and ask them, I really would like to provide more for my family and I'd like to earn more income. I'm not asking you for a raise, but what I'd love to do is I'd like to ask you is, what do I need to do? What do I need to learn? What kind of person do I need to become to move at the next level where I'm at so I can earn more money? Because if they knew that, they would be doing it already, but they don't have a plan for earning more money. Hi, and welcome back to Stocks for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. 60% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. Financial independence can seem out of reach for so many in the community. Change is hard, but it can be achieved. Joining me today is Lewis Barajas. Hello, Lewis. Hey, Phil. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Thank you very much for joining me today. Lewis Barajas is CEO of International Private Wealth Advisors and business manager for some of the most iconic Latin artists and executives in the entertainment and sports industry. He's also one of the expert coaches on Opportunity Knocks, a TV reality show that just premiered on PBS Passport. Anyway, just to get started, we'll get to the TV program shortly, but um, tell us about your childhood and growing up in East L.A. Yeah, well, for most people who don't know where East L.A. is, East L.A. is considered a barrio, right? And it's a place where a lot of uh, Latinos live in the United States. Um, my parents are Mexican immigrants. They came to the United States very young, had me very young. And my dad was a blue collar worker who uh, back in 1971 lost a couple jobs and looked towards his uh, 11 year old son to say, I'm, I, he looked at me because I spoke English. And I said, he said, uh, son, and I said, yes, dad. I go, um, I'm going to start this business. He took all the money that he had and bought a welding machine and created an ornamental iron business that's doing like window guards and fences and whatever. And so my dad and I took a bus to downtown Los Angeles, filled out an application for a business license. And that's how he got started. And that's how I became at 11 years old, a CFO for my dad's business, right? Who knows? Uh, I had no idea. And just another quick little story. And in that community, there weren't a lot of people who were professionals, a lot of people, there was no access to financial planning advice or accounting advice. Two years later, the IRS showed up at my dad's uh, office and said, Mr. Barajas, you haven't filed uh, business tax returns for the last couple of years. Um, and my dad looked at me and asked me what they were saying. I translated for him. And then I asked the lady, what are tax returns? And I said, is there a book that I can read to complete tax returns? And she said, yes. Now, in East Los Angeles, the heart of where most Mexican-Americans live in Southern California. And as of last night and as of 40 years ago, there were no bookstores there. So my dad drove me like 15 miles to another location, bought me a tax book. Uh, back then, Phil, they had no Internet. So I went to the local post office to get all the tax forms. At the age of 13, I filed my first Schedule C self-employed tax return for my dad. 
And uh, and at the age of 15, we got we got audited for that return, believe it or not. And I won the audit. But so that's how I got started in, in financial planning. And uh, that's where I came from, that community. It's, it's amazing, though, that generation, that immigrant mentality of that generation was just to work hard. There was no financial planning, really, as such. There was no investing, I'm assuming. Um, but... It's, it's like some uh, immigrants come into the community and they've got this plan that they're just going to work and work and work and make life better for their kids. Was that what it was like for you? They don't, they, they don't have a choice, right? They mm. don't have a choice. They don't come. My dad had an education from Mexico from, like, from the sixth grade. Uh, my mom got pregnant with me at age 15, had me at 16. Wonderful parents, just the most kind, loving, honest what I got from them was just hard work. I remember my dad cutting himself with with um, uh, when he was working on the iron and went to the house, wrapped himself in with some band-aids, went back to work, right? And so every time I see an employee of mine who wants to not show up at work because they have a headache, I always kind of giggle at like, you know, my dad who would laugh at them probably. Just a lot of hard work. They taught me that. But, you know, luckily that their children got educated, right? And I, from there, I realized that my dad needed more help. And I realized that education was probably the key to helping him. And that's how I kind of moved forward. Yeah. Try telling young people that these days, huh? (laughs) About how work used to be. So um, you became interested in financial matters from there. How did it develop from that point onward as you got older and as you became educated? I mean, what was your, what was your education? Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I asked my dad, well, after the audit, we got audit from the IRS. And I think the lady felt really bad for us, but um, had a no change audit. I mean, my dad was living, talk about paycheck to paycheck, day to day, really. And I made a commitment to my dad that I get a, a lot of financial information. I ended up going to UCLA, got accepted to UCLA. And then from there, I went and got my master's in business and MBA and uh, in, in finance. And I said it when Peter Drucker was there. Most people may not remember who Peter Drucker, but he's a great professor. And I went through the whole certified financial planning program back in 1985-86. And as far as I know, Phil, I'm the first uh, Latino in the United States to become a certified financial planner. And that's how I got started. Now, I went directly into financial planning. Um, Don't want to mention the company who actually taught me a lot about financial planning, but I started helping people in my community. And one of the things that was taught is you got to build an emergency reserve. Now, back then, Phil, Latinos were probably 65% were unbanked, didn't even have a checking account, savings account. They did everything in cash. Uh, They went to these, uh, you know, places where they would charge them one or 2% to cash their paychecks and then did everything in cash. So I realized that I needed to open, help them open up checking accounts, savings accounts, have money in reserve. When my the company came to me and said, Louis, you're a great financial planner, but you're not making a lot of money opening up bank accounts for some of your clients. Why don't you open up annuities? And it's a win-win for you and for them. And I realized that it wasn't how I was raised and it wasn't the best thing for me. So I became very disenchanted with the financial planning industry because it was very product driven and I really wanted to make an impact. So Phil, I quit and I said I would never be a wealth manager, financial planner again, went to go work for a big CPA firm back in the 80s, uh, late 80s. And they saw that back then CPAs could not sell any products. They could do planning, but could not sell any products. I was one of the first CFPs in the country. And they hired me to come in and do not only get my own CPA license, but at the end of the day, do financial planning for some of the wealthiest people in the country, multimillionaires and billionaires. And I realized, oh my God, if I could do this, 
in my own community and help people out, but at a way discounted price and not have to sell a product. What would that look like? A few years later, I had tragedy strike in my life and I ended up going back to that community and providing that kind of services to them. And then since then I've grown and it's now I'm working with iconic Latin stars, but I continue to help people across the country and give them access to really honest, ethical, competent financial planning advice without having to sell a product if I don't need to. And many, many people don't understand that their many advisors and planners are conflicted because they're selling products that they're going to make a commission from. Well, they're pushed, right? It depends. If you're, you know, I, I don't want to make the industry look bad, but the problem is that with certain type of places that you work for, you have to produce because they're, you know, charging for your desk and you have to sell a product. And uh, sometimes life insurance products with investments have a lot of commission and they sell it like if it was hotcakes. And it's not the best for the family. My job is to, of not having our clients think about investing for the long term and not the day to day trading type of stuff, but for the long term. But I also think about also having clients for the long term. And that's giving them advice that's what's best for them, uh, not what's best for the investment firm. Do you see any similarities or differences in the kind of uh, mistakes and misconceptions that people have amongst the wealthier and even the not so wealthy people? The most common mistake that I see is really more mindsets and the mindsets that that they're not earning enough money. And when you see a lot of books written for communities that do not have a a lot of money, they focus on budgeting, right? They focus on budgeting. And that's, I actually see that as a big mistake. What I do is I focus on, I know I can't, but if I could help them create more value in themselves to be able to make more money. The other mistake is that they believe that they're never going to have enough and they're just going to have to work until they die. And I have them believe that they can and they save. And so one of the things that I do is I start to create systems and habits for saving. Uh, Phil, they can't invest in stocks, right? They can't invest in stocks or in equities if they do not have any savings. It starts there first. And a lot of people are unbanked. I make sure that they start saving first. And then I start teaching them what long-term investing in equities does. But again, long-term we have things now like Robinhood who have democratized, you know, trading in stocks, but it's been a double-edged sword for uh, communities that have not had a lot of experience, right? They've kind of used those as day trading and they've actually now with the market so volatile have lost a lot of money and people are scared. So now they have a bad taste in their mouth and now they don't want to invest for the long term. So the mistakes are that, you know, they don't save and they're taught to, Uh, focus on budgeting when they're not taught to focus on creating more value. The other thing is the mistakes are there aren't a lot of people of access. So they're buying insurance products that have cash value when at the beginning, when they're first starting out, they actually just need a term insurance policy. I always believe there is no bad product, uh, whether it's investment or insurance. It's just if you're not using it for the suitability for that for that person, right? This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Nile.com. 
So what part does investing have in financial stability? I mean, obviously, that you've got to get the... It's a big thing with changing the mindset of people to go from working every day to make money to trying to convert that into something that will make money for them, I presume. Yeah, you know, financial. So I always have these tiers, right? Uh, so the communities that I work with, they're like, I always call the tiers at the beginning, the struggle, excuse me, the bottom tier is survival, then struggle, then stability, then success, and then significance, right? And a lot of the people that are in the survival mode or in the struggle mode, the goal is to get them into that stability mode. There's a great saying by Henry David Thoreau that said, most men lead lives of quiet desperation. While working with communities that lack capital or lack income, I've always said that most people uh, live lives of quiet financial desperation. Financial stability gives people what I call financial dignity. And what does that mean? As an example, with financial stability, you'll, you'll have a single mom who, you know, instead of driving a jalopy or an old car that's going to break down and, you know, and she's driving in the middle of the night, she'll have some kind of car. Financial stability provides medical insurance, right? Financial stability provides a roof over your head without having to worry that if I lose my job, what's going to happen to me and not moving in the car. We're seeing a tremendous amount of homelessness, right? And a big wealth gap. And so investing is key to all of this. The problem is now that we have to allow people to think or we have to give them the mindset that they can invest and we need to show them how. And I will share with you, Phil, that I've been doing this for 35 years in, the, in these type of communities and we've had tremendous success. And we've done it by creating these systems or these habits or creating accounts where they're on automatic, right, where they're saving because otherwise they would never save. And to be quite honest with you, Phil, I've got clients that are also making millions of dollars. And we still have to say for them, it doesn't matter. It seems like people who just keep making more, just keep spending more. <laughs> it's always a problem, isn't it? <laughs> the more you have, um, the more you want. That's it. You talk about those five tiers. Is the change in mindset um, like ratcheted up through those five tiers or does the change in mindset happen and then the, those other tiers start following from from each other? You know, I've never been asked that question and thank you for asking that. So, so let me share you what I do. When I talk to people and I do workshops, I have those tiers written on, on a board or on a screen. And I ask them, if someone's on the survival mode, what's their mindset? Are they thinking long-term or short-term? If they have no place to sleep tonight, if they have no food to eat, even if they stepped away from church that day, would they steal to eat and feed their children? Would they? What would they do for money to, you know, and they go, oh, they're thinking, they're not even thinking at the end of the week, they're thinking like, what am I going to do today? Okay. What's the mindset in the struggle where you have a job, but you don't know if you have enough money to pay the rent, or you're always talking to the landlord and say, I'll pay you next month, or I'm going to get some money coming in. What's the mindset? Well, maybe it's at a week at a time, but we're still struggling. Um, I've got people from collections calling me because I haven't made the credit card payment, or I haven't made the car payment. Um, are going to get my my car impounded. Then I talk about stability and then success. Because even people at Successville, I've got a lot of people at Success who've come to me and said, Lewis, you know, when I thought I had the Mercedes Benz, I'd be happy. When I thought I would get the nice house, I'd be happy. And now that I have everything, I'm still not feeling happy. There's something lacking when they've had the money. And then significance is when they're making enough and they're making a, a difference. So if I can get people who are in the survival or the struggle mode to talk about 
what the people's mindsets are at each level. And if I can get them to start thinking at maybe one or two levels above and how would they behave and how would they, that what would that person have to be and what kind of behaviors they would have to have. Now, the problem is it depends on how much of a struggle they're in, right? Sometimes you have to intervene and you got to find them help. But there are people who are in that struggle mode that we want to get them in stability mode that just require a little bit more help and a shift in mindset to get them to there. And then you have to let get them to feel or understand that even achieving success, making money for the sake of making money is not going to make them happier. They have to have a purpose or a meaning behind that. Have you got a case study or two that you could share with listeners? Well, I mean, case study in the in the sense of what I will share with you that I've had people who've gone through divorce and they've had single moms and they've been in this struggle mode because the dad's not paying the child support, right? And they've never had any money. And they said, I'm living paycheck to paycheck. We still have gone to online where they work and connected them and gotten put $10 a month away in their 401k. Uh, we've opened up bank accounts where we're doing, you know, $10 a month in that, in that savings plan. And we meet with them and as we go through six months, okay, now you had $60, but let me tell you, when was the last time you had $60 in the savings account? And they'll tell me it's been two or three years. Or tell me when you had money in your retirement plan. I've never had money in retirement plan. I know that you're still paycheck to paycheck. Right. Phil, people are listening to us. uh, uh, An analogy is you talk to people who have a car that's breaking down. They can't make an extra car payment, but eventually the car just breaks down so bad that it's not even worth fixing. They go to the car dealer and the next day they come out with a lease or they come out with a car purchase. And all of a sudden they're making the car payment that they didn't have enough money to make the car payment before. And so what I'm saying is that somehow we always are able to prioritize or able to do what needs to be done. And so sometimes we do that. The other thing times is I sit down and I'll take a look at what they're spending the money on and how we can prioritize it differently. Or I will teach them concepts on how to make more money. Here's one quick concept that I teach people. So I would love for you to go to your boss or the person responsible for giving you a raise tomorrow and ask them, I really would like to provide more for my family and I'd like to earn more income. I'm not asking you for a raise, but what I'd love to do is I'd like to ask you is what do I need to do? What do I need to learn? What kind of person do I need to become to move at the next level where I'm at so I can earn more money? Because if they knew that they would be doing it already, but they don't have a plan for earning more money. I will share with you that 99% of the time they come back and they say, I have a plan. And most of them are earning more money within six to nine months. There are times when the boss will tell them or their managers, huh, I don't even, you know, they want to make this kind of a raise. I don't even make that. Well, it's better for you to find out now that you're in a place that's not going to pay you more. So you can go gain what I call cash, knowledge, abilities, skills, and habits to move to another job where there will be that more value for you and they'll pay you better. So we've got to teach these kind of concepts. They're very simple concepts. And they, when, when you hear them, it sounds like common sense, but nobody's doing that. You referred a um, few moments ago to the kind of new investing products like uh, Robin Hood that are allowing people to invest directly themselves. And um, another guest referred to that as being like um, getting the keys to the Ferrari <laughs> with um, without even having your L plates on your Kia, you know, and there's a bottle right. of whiskey on well, the passenger seat. Or, or yeah. going to Vegas, or going mm. to Vegas, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. And um, 
I think, well, what I always try and say to people is that, okay, you can invest with a very, very small amount of money, but don't think of it as a sports betting app. Think of it as an educational app and to educate yourself. Would you agree with using it that way? Uh, Listen, absolutely. Um, Again, these type of apps weren't around and most people would never have access to investing or wouldn't even know how to invest, right? It's on your phone. There's no excuse for not being able to invest these days. There's no friction with, at all. There's no excuse for you to buy to buy one share of Amazon at a fractional share price, right? The the what needs behind that though is the context of what investing really is. Because let me just share with you that if you go into poor communities, when you see that there's a lotto and and let's just say the lotto right now is at a you know hundred million dollars, the lines are out the door at the liquor stores, the lines are out the door at the convenience stores. Everybody's buying a ticket, and so they think that that's their only chance of building wealth. And you and I know, and in fact, I actually know somebody who won eleven million dollars, uh, and after whatever taxes had seven million dollars and literally lost it within three years. I mean, this mm. is a true story, mm. um, and so. We need to have some kind of education of how investing really works. People think that investing in the stock market is gambling. It is absolutely not. But when they're day trading and they're, you know, it is, it does become like gambling, right? And so at the end of the day, um, it's a wonderful tool. We just have to provide a lot more education uh, behind it. Um, And they treat it like a lotto ticket, to be quite honest with you. And these days, there's so much more financial advice available in podcasts, blogs, videos on YouTube and so forth. Can this be a good thing or a bad thing? It is a great thing. But let me share with you with the problem that I have now with all the information. When I left the big firm out of Newport Beach, California, it was Kenneth Leventhal, and I went back to East LA to help the poor. There was no internet then. It was just starting. We were just getting there. And people said, the reason why people are poor is there's a lack of financial literacy. That's why I've written five books. And I will share with you now with so much information, the wealth gap, especially in the United States, has gotten larger. And so now with all the information, why has that wealth gap gotten? You know, there's so much wonderful, great information from great organizations out there. I don't know if there's too much information now. But the problem is the right information is available to you at the great university of Google, right? Or whatever you're using. And you have to know to go to which organizations are giving you consumer friendly information. You have to be careful. Sometimes when you go with individual advisors, let's say I'm an individual advisor and I'm giving information, you have to be careful about where their intentions are and if they're also selling a product or what they're trying to do. So I love to go to more of the government kind of organizations, uh, the FINRA, the SEC, what SEC site where they're giving you consumer friendly information without um, having any intentions to sell a product behind it. Can you suggest for listeners when we're talking about going to Dr. Google and the University of Google, what they should be searching for? Is it something like long-term investing or passive investing? Any any terms that you would suggest people uh, put in their search engine? How do I start to invest? Simple as that. How do I start to invest? Mm. You know, Investopedia has tremendous amount of information. How do I know where to invest? I want to. Uh, how do I invest for college funding for my children? I mean, it's asking the question repeatedly a few times and seeing what comes up. And then you'll see right away, right at the very top is it says, this is an ad. 
this is an ad, this is an ad. So you kind of go down a few steps below and look for information that, you know, just be very careful with people who are out there telling you how wonderful something is and how great and grand something is. Again, I go back to when people tell me, you know, right now, Lewis, I'm invested, I'm nervous, the accounts are down. I go, well, if you're invested in equities, they're supposed to be down, right? If you had money invested with Madoff, your accounts would not be down in a down market. You need, there's something to worry about, right? So you have to know how to work. As far as I see it, Phil, there's only really three types of investments in the whole world. There's cash, fixed, and equity. And you have to teach them how they work and, and what they're for. And I'll ask somebody, I'm going to teach you how to be a financial planner. Equity investments are volatile. You put a dollar in, you don't know what's going to be worth tomorrow. It could be real estate. It could be companies, stock like stocks. Fixed investments are like bonds or loans where... You know, you lend somebody money and they lock it in for a certain time period and you're going to get that. But, you know, you're, you're subject to interest rate risk and then cash is cash. And most banks here were paying prior to the inflation 0.01%, right? A tenth of 1%. But I would ask them, you know, what's the goal and what's the time horizon? And if to be quite honest, Phil, I don't even think the goal matters. It's the time horizon. If somebody tells us I'm going to need that money within the next three to six months, you're going to put it in cash. You're going to put it in a, in a short-term CD. You're going to put it in cash. I, you know what? I need money for uh, my kid's education fund. Great. How old is your kid? Right? Because if I if I tell you, Phil, my kid's uh, 17 years old, will go to college in the next six months, or I tell you my child is a year old, it's going to be a completely different portfolio for that child, right? Uh, the same thing when somebody says, oh, I need money. I, I need to retire. Where should I invest in? Should I invest it in ETF? Should I invest it in cash? How old are you and when do you plan to retire? You know, what's our time horizon? And so it goes back to asking those type of questions. If you have anybody come to you and talk to you about a product first before they're asking you, what's your, how old are you? Or how much time do you have for the investment? Does it need to be liquid or not? What's your risk tolerance? Have you ever been in these type of investments? Or they teach, you know, they should teach you that if you've never invested in equities, the markets are supposed to be down at certain periods. It's not going to be a smooth ride up mm. and you need to be comfortable. And you, maybe if you have extra cash on the markets are down, like at this time, do we put more money in? So I think we need to be educated from that perspective. Um, and I think there are a lot of wonderful people out there giving great advice. But I also think that the industry is still at a point where we're very product driven instead of very people driven. One of the traditional ways of earning a greater income is education and young people go to college obviously to to get um, skills and to make a lot more money but then it's a double-edged sword with the uh, the debt then hanging over their head for many years how would you talk to a young person approaching this kind of situation we have these conversations all the time and I will share with you that if you talk to a lot of college counselors, you're going to see a lot of people who are in college paying a lot of money who are uh, undecided as to what they're going to study. And so it's more of looking at also their career path long term. There are some kids that definitely know. I mean, since they were 11 years old, what they were going to do. I was going to be a doctor since I was 11 years old. Go for it. You're going to make a lot of money, but it's going to, it's a lot of work, right? It's, it's eight, nine years of college and it's a tremendous amount of effort and work, but if you're going to do it, that's fine. If you're undecided and don't know, that's why community colleges have been a great resource for a lot of people. It's been a big strategy where you go get your general courses for literally nothing these days, and then you transfer. If people don't have an idea of what they want to do, I'll tell them, why don't you go do a lot of internships and don't even start college for a while until you finally decide what you really love and what's your passion. And then there, you'll find that there are some careers that don't require college to make a lot of money if that's what you're meant to do. And so 
it just depends. You have to take a look at every person individually. But again, if somebody wants to go and they've known they've always wanted to be a doctor, then I don't let money interfere that. You know, we're going to figure out a way to for them to get the money, whether it's grants, scholarships, uh, loans. Sometimes they're not even aware of what grants are or scholarships. And there's a lot of help out there, but you have to look for it. When there's a will, there's a way. So tell us about Opportunity Knox, the TV show. How's that been? And I, I, I know we can't do any spoil. We have no, no spoiler alerts, okay? Uh, no spoiler alerts, but I will share with you that I'm doing this show called Opportunity Knox. It will be shown throughout the country on PBS um, and it's, you know, as we know, it was launching in November. And so it's with uh, Patrice uh, Washington and Gene Chatsky. Gene Chatsky has been on NBC Today show for many, many years. And the goal is to show America that if you are having financial struggles or challenges, there are resources out there available to help you. And so this is a wonderful show that it's not about the coaches, but there's a team of people around six families that will help guide, coach, teach, change mindsets, and push them and guide them to the right resources to change their lives. One of the, the families that I had was a single mother with five children who was, had not paid their, her home uh, mortgage in 10 months because she taught art classes at home. When we, COVID came in, she, nobody came in, right? There couldn't be any art classes, and she, and her, she was not making enough money that we're, she can teach these classes off the internet. And so started, I mean, really spiraling downward and had some health issues as well. And we stepped in to help her. But what people will see is that there are so many resources available for them if they're in debt, they have some financial problems. And some of them weren't even financial problems. They were problems of opportunities. Do I stay here as a teacher or or I have an opportunity to move to Austin, Texas and make more money and change the whole life and maybe take some risk? And they got guidance, you know, career guidance there as well. So it's a wonderful show that I think is going to show a lot of people that if they can do it, I mean, if the people on television can do it, they can do it themselves. And it's not just advice. We actually guide them uh, to the website, opportunitynox.net. And there's an opportunity finder there where they can put in what kind of problem they have. And it'll guide them for people in their community at nearly almost, you know, no expense whatsoever. So that's what we're trying to do. So some of the major artists and mainly Latino and Latina artists that you represent, um, can you share some of those names? Yeah, I've been working for the longest time. If you'll see somebody, a gentleman named Nikki Jam, who was born in Boston uh, in the United States and moved to Puerto Rico and then uh, went through some severe uh, difficulties, hardships, and then made it, made a, 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 he turned back his whole entire career and is doing extremely well. He's done movies uh, in the U.S. And I've got Mao and Ricky and Gerardo Ortiz. And um, I worked for the Rivero family for the longest time. So, I mean, I can continue and give you a list and list of clients. And what we do for them is, you know, we sit down and we help them pay their bills and do their tax returns and guide them with their investments and help them vet out private equity opportunities for them. I mean, really kind of a family office. And again, it's a very boutique firm. Billboard Magazine has uh, put us in the you know uh, top business managers list for the last six years running. And so uh, we're very proud of the work that we're doing. And we're, you know, we're basically creating that wealth and business management. So so that's that's uh, the type of clients that I have. Yeah. It's, and I guess it's part of the dream, isn't it? That uh, at some stage, some people can achieve that kind of financial success. It, 
You know, Phil, I will share with you that one of the things that being so close into the entertainment industry and dealing with a lot of executives uh, in the entertainment industry is that you realize there's a lot of great talent out there, but the people who don't give up, the people who have a lot of heart eventually make it, right? Uh, some of these stars lived in their cars. That's, the beauty of the clients that I have is that they're, they also were come from families that did not have a lot of education and didn't have a lot of money, and they did a lot of struggle. So once they make money, most of them, not all of them, but most of them really appreciate the money that they've made, and they really want to take care of it. Right. And and so uh, I love that, that they're really involved with their finances. I have a young group, two young kids named Mao and Ricky. They're not that young, but they're young and they are really invested in time. I meet with them and talk about private equity, about stock market, about their retirement plans. And I have never seen any 20 year olds that sit me down and want to learn as much as possible. And I love that. I mean, I love that. Um, again, people who have come from nothing. And so if they can do it, anybody can do it. Now, music is different, right? It's a little bit of luck. It's a little bit of luck. It's the same thing with actors. Not a lot of people are working. Hmm. But I also have people from the barrios that I've had for 25, 30 years, people who were school teachers and never made more than $40,000 a year and have over a million dollars in their retirement accounts. And again, it's done through time. It's done through common sense investing. We don't need to complicate stuff. This is not really, uh, it's, it's not that complicated what we do. I think the biggest goal is to get them just to uh, be consistent uh, investors, right? A friend of mine who works in the music industry was having a dinner with an accountant who worked with Elton John when Elton John, suddenly his party years were over and he had to get his finances together. And on the books, there were four Rolls Royces, but they could only find three of them. And it took them about five years to find one of the rollers sitting in the long-term car park at Heathrow Airport with no air in the tires. <laughs> That's when you know you've got a lot of money, Bill. That's when you know you get a lot of money when you can't, yeah. yeah. So I'm not... I, my clients are not that there yet, but right now what I'm seeing, Phil, just um, is that a lot of people are selling catalogs. A lot of hedge funds mm. in the investment world are buying music catalogs from these artists. That's right. And yeah. a lot of these artists are getting big lump sums. I've got some clients that you know are getting uh, $25, 30000000 million uh, from selling their catalogs. And I guess that all started when because interest rates have gone down, that like they were looking to diversify the portfolios. And so they saw that the streaming, the, the, the uh, music royalties coming from all the streaming was a, a great uh, income. Yeah, they're kind, of, they're kind of like a long-term bond. And like a long-term bond. And they were getting, so they were being, you know, where then prior they used to sell some of these catalogs at eight, nine, 10 times multiple. They're now going for 17, 18 times multiple. I believe there's ETFs now that are offering exposure to some of these. You know, you can get exposure to Bob Dylan's catalogue and uh, David Bowie's yeah. catalogue. And, and David Bowie really was one of the first to do this. I think it was even back in the late 80s where he sold his yes. catalogue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting to think of as an income stream, I think. It is. Uh, you know, and, and it's interesting to see some of these 30-year-olds selling catalogues for $40, 50000000 million. And when we're sitting there, we have to take into the capital gains taxes, but we got to say, okay, we, what do we do to make sure that we don't run out of this money? Because this is, was your future income stream that you've just sold now, and now we've got to invest it wisely. Mm. And so it takes, there's a lot of time uh, in planning what we're going to do with that money and, and make it grow as well. 
I've got to say, I think $300 million for the Bob Dylan catalogue is so cheap that he got for that. But I guess at his age, he doesn't need too much money to, to live uh, out his a- days. <laughs> absolutely. Phil, since we're kind of off a little bit on the subject, so what do you, at Stocks for Beginners, what do you actually teach on your podcast? What's the... What, what are you teaching the, the listeners? Uh, I'm not um, so much teaching. I mean, I don't see myself as a teacher. I feel like I'm channeling okay. channeling my guests and their knowledge and their information. Uh, one of my guests a long time ago said, listen to the words. You just got, li- got to listen to the words. So what I'm trying to do is expose listeners to people who have expertise in this industry and who, um, by listening to the words, will pick up basically well really what i am trying to say is that long term you you want to be invested for the long term you want it to do it with as little risk as possible and to think about what your goals are in the future and not think that you're going to make you know walking into the stock market today that you're going to make a lot of money straight off the bat yeah so that's basically where i'm coming from yeah so are you a musician as well Oh, I've got a bit of. I see, I see a guitar. I see a guitar yeah. behind you. I, I I wouldn't call myself a musician as such, but I do like playing, and um, I actually play all the um, uh, the themes on my podcasts. I take copyright very seriously. And no um, kidding, that's mm, awesome. Yeah, and I just um, I just great. always feel like the I like to get the vibe and the and that right right. Wow, that's fantastic. Okay, well, okay. Um, Thank you very much, Lewis, for joining me today. It's been a real pleasure, and uh, it's not often where I get interviewed as well <laughs> by my guests. <laughs> Bill, it's my, my pleasure, and thank you so much. Thank you very much, Lewis. If you found this podcast helpful, please tell a friend, especially if it's someone who needs to start thinking about investing for their future. You'll be helping them and helping me to keep this show on the road. Stocks for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not Stocks for Beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. And thank you for listening to my podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.